0: Welcome
1: to Grave Digger Radio
0: Podcast, broadcasting live from the afterlife. Alright guys, I am super excited about this episode. Today we're talking about the man, the moth, the legend, the mothman. Jason, bring us in. Okay, um, I'm assuming that the audience probably
2: has at least like a baseline cursory knowledge of the Mothman, right? That's that's out there. That's a thing in pop culture. We know the Mothman, yeah.
0: As incredibly popular as he is in modern culture, I think everybody at least tangentially knows about the Mothman.
1: Anonymous, Mike, what do you think? Well, being from Kentucky, I mean, I think everybody has just heard over yonder. Yeah, I mean, just right across the river over there, South Williamson area. Mm-hmm. You've got you know, you've know, you got this legend, I think everybody over here has heard that.
2: Pardon me a minute, I'm having a little more liquid charisma before we get the episode going.
0: And speaking of which, if you like the episodes <laughs> better when we drink on them, we actually have a new way to support the podcast set up under Buy Me a Coffee, but we've got it changed to Buy Me a Beer, and if you donate, I think we've got it set up like five bucks donation to the podcast, we promise that we will drink whatever you buy us on this podcast. So if you want to do that, Head over to Buy Me a Coffee forward slash Gravedigger. Except
1: Zima, we will not drink Zima. They still make Zima? One. Oh, I don't know. Do you know what that well, is, Zach? No. I what think the, the hell it's older no, than you you are you? Too young. What the hell, is Zima? What is Zima? That's a good question. Uh, it was a. It was like a clear malt liquor that was really, really popular for about uh, seven or eight minutes.
0: Is this the thing that like the flavors were like
1: transported next to
0: a lemon, like that kind of stuff? No, it was this is just the Zima It
1: when, was the real popular know? where people put a Jolly Rancher in it. Oh, that's so news before to me. your time. Entirely. It was oh, big it was when terrible. I was in
2: college, so mid-90s, early to mid-90s. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Terrible. That's what everybody was drinking. But no, any given episode that we record is about 10% Jason, about 90% Evan Williams bourbon. Okay, anyway, uh, Mothman. So, I mean, before this episode, the only thing I really knew, I mean, I'd heard some of the legends, and the old movie with Richard Gere, and uh, who's the redhead? She was in Will and Grace. Man, I don't know why Never missing. Messing. Okay, I Deborah don't know messing. why you're looking yeah. at me to be like the big Will and oh, Grace fan. I had a huge crush here. on her back in the day, but anyway- um, yeah, so I'd seen that movie about the Mothman, weird creature of West Virginia. He shows up when bad things happen. That's literally all I knew. We have the book for this episode is just called Mothman, The Facts Behind the Legend by Donnie Sargent Jr. and Jeff Wamsley. Wamsley? Wamsley? I actually kind of like the book, and, and, and Zach bought this and, and brought it to us. It's kind of a almost like a coffee table-sized book, but it's full of... The historian in me would call primary source documents
0: yeah no it's actually a really good book it's got first-hand accounts it's got newspaper clippings it's got all kinds of just if you like mothman and you knew a little bit about mothman before you listen to this episode it's definitely a book worth getting like it was a good read because it even has handwritten notes and have been transcribed and everything
2: right that's what i like because i was trying to reading trying to read through like the original handwriting i'm like oh this is hopeless um, but on the opposite page, they'll have it transcribed in the
0: typeface type font so you can, like, read through it easily and see well, what these people...
1: It's probably written by somebody in West Virginia. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I feel like we need, like, a Gravedigger Radio Book of the Month Club started up with this, as many books as we pimp out there with this podcast.
2: Oh, definitely. We should contact, like, a local bookstore and be like, hey, make a Gravedigger Radio section and, like, you know, put that out there during Halloween or something.
0: That would actually be kind of cool. Let's see if we can't get on that. And if you own a bookstore or tied to a bookstore, contact us. We'll put you together a reading list.
2: Yeah, a lot of it was in cursive. I don't know if Zach was taught that in school or not, like we were anonymous, Mike. Vaguely, vaguely. <laughs> anyway, I think it's, it's best to start with a bit of the history of the area, Point Pleasant, West Virginia, because part of the thinking is behind Mothman, right, is that he kind of show ups. It shows up in dark places where some stuff's about to happen or has happened. He's almost, pardon the the pun, but like kind of as a moth would be drawn to a flame, he's drawn to like kooky dark stuff.
0: That's kind of my theory on him is that he almost has this way of like knowing. I think that was kind of one of the whole thing, like the Mothman Prophecies movie. Right. You know, there's a way that he kind of knows and maybe with his little fuzzy antennas or something that something weird is about to pop off.
2: Right, and it could be supernatural or just a, a terrible tragedy or um, even like um, UFO sightings and stuff like that. And if something's going down, you may see the Mothman before or during those events.
0: Which, we'll get into all that because UFOs play a big part in the story.
2: Yeah. So anyway, uh, starting up with the, the theme of Point Pleasant, West Virginia, and weird stuff, it goes back to, see the days before Point Pleasant was even Point Pleasant. There was a camp Point Pleasant that was established by a General Andrew Lewis in 1774 at the point at which the Ohio River, which is the northern border of Kentucky, and the Kanawha Rivers meet. So that's Point Pleasant, West Virginia, present day. Um, The site was later home to a bloody battle between General Lewis and Chief Cornstalk, a Native American chief, during what was known as Lord Dunsmore's War, which is widely considered to be the first battle of the American Revolution. Sounds cool, right?
0: I mean, as far as where we're going with this, yeah. I mean, did the did Mothman end up joining the battle right there? You know,
2: he didn't. But I'm trying to lay the foundation of that. This this area has seen some dark, bloody stuff over the years.
0: See, now I want to see like a painting, you know, uh, Washington crossing the Delaware, but with Mothman like at the front leading the charge. <laughs> <laughs> he
2: would be way cooler. How do you take that guy on? Anyway, so uh, Lord Dunmore's War was an escalation of the conflict between the you know white settlers encroaching upon lands south of the Ohio River, such as Kentucky and West Virginia, that were home to a lot of Ma- Native American tribes, or at least their hunting grounds. And it's called Lord Dunmore's War, you know, it sounds like something British, because James Murray was the fourth Earl of Dunmore, and he was the person who went to the Virginia House of Burgesses, and at that time it was all Virginia. It wasn't Virginia like today that big swath of land was Virginia, West Virginia, and also Kentucky. So in May of 1774, there was a group of white settlers that attacked and murdered the family of the Mingo chief, Logan. And in revenge for the slaughter of his family, he vowed to, quote, turn the frontier red with the long knives' blood. And when he says long knives, he's referring to the British soldiers who uh, were known for their cutlasses that they carried in the battle. So Chief Logan you know, in, in retribution, leads his tribe on the warpath, and they ended up killing and scalping about 30 of these white settlers. And after that, it just, you know, ramped on up into just outright violence. I mean, the worst stuff imaginable, kidnapping, infanticide, all that sort of stuff. So in September of 1774, Lord Dunmore um, signed a peace treaty with the Delaware and six nations, you know, around Pittsburgh to try to put an end to all of this. But the Shawnee, under Chief Cornstalk, refused to sign and allied themselves with the Mingo people under Chief Logan. So they kind of got together and decided to keep the hostilities going. Um, Eventually, of course, it didn't go well for the Native Americans.
0: No way. I would have never guessed.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So Cornstalk and his group attacked General Lewis's forces at Point Pleasant. Um, Big battle went back and forth for a couple days. Um, A lot of really just gruesome hand-to-hand combat until the British finally won the battle. Um, I think they had about 50 casualties while the Na- Native Americans suffered about 200 dead, including Chief Cornstalk himself, who, with his last dying breath, as the legend goes, cursed the land with hard times and sorrow to follow for the next 200 years or so.
0: If you're going to go out, that's a pretty metal way to go down right there.
1: Well, unless he said it like, I'm going to curse
0: this land for a- about 200 years.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Give it
2: 200 years. <laughs>
0: 200 years seems like a good number. I mean, yeah. as far as we're going to give a curse. 200 years, give or take? <sighs> <laughs> and, you know,
2: here on Gravejigger Radio, we love, we love a good curse. Of course, we had, um, you know, Raffinesque's curse on Transylvania University back in one of our early podcast episodes, which panned out pretty well, curse wise.
0: Yeah, I mean, as far as curses go, where does this one rank up there, you think, Jason? King Tut's tomb at, like, the top. Yeah. And then, like, I guess Raffinesque would be, like, the middle. Curse of Oak good. Island? I, I'm not familiar with the, Cur- the Curse of Oak Island. You know Oak Island. No, I don't. The Money Pit? I have no idea what you're
1: talking about. Okay, we have to I talk. I know it's an
0: archaeological site, but that's about it.
1: We have to talk. <laughs> what is it? So, uh, Oak Island is this place in the, um, is it New England area, Jason? You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Nope. So, they... <laughs> they... <laughs> There, there's a legend of but go on.
2: It makes for great radio. <laughs> so
1: there's a legend of buried treasure up in the northeast on one of these small islands up there, and uh, for 200 years, people have been digging around this island. To many of them, meeting their dooms, but they find this place called the Money Pit. They dig down 60 feet, 70 feet. They start finding wood platforms. They dig down to a certain point where they think maybe they're making progress here. Shafts open up. The the all of these areas fill up with seawater. They they find out have dug shafts from this pit all the way to the ocean. Nobody knows who did this. Uh, and I think it maybe has to deal with Blackbeard's treasure. Huh. And uh, so, anyway, that was really interesting. There was a big, long, like, Discovery Channel show on it. Oh, okay. Much ado, the, much ado about nothing, but...
0: I've heard about the Discovery Show. Apparently from, like, uh, there's an archaeologist that I'm, you know, acquainted with. And he says it's mostly bullshit. The stuff that goes on in Oak Island is, like, a lot of it is things that they kind of planted there and then they found it or you know it's
1: very like oh it sounds like Discovery Channel.
0: Right. It's very <laughs> poor archaeology from like from what he said, it's a whole lot of just it's nothing. i, I mean, tried it, to it, watch
1: a couple of those episodes and never could I can never get into it's it. It's
0: quote good T V, but that's about it as far as like in terms of history, it's really nothing. Back to back to Mothman, sorry, as we, we get sidetracked here.
2: Right. Another interesting fact about the area and this um plays into the Mothman story quite a bit is what is known locally kind of colloquially, as the TNT area. It became known as the TNT area because during World War II, the United States government stashed a bunch of explosives in the area in these, like, big igloo-style bunkers, and they covered them up with dirt and grass and stuff so that any enemy airplanes couldn't fly over and and see this big ammo dump, essentially, (laughs) at the border of West Virginia.
0: Yeah, and the interesting part of it, too, though, is that the TNT that was stored there, it wasn't stored, like, you think nowadays, all the EPA regulations and, And all the things in terms of environmental protection Mm -hmm. that, you know, we have nowadays was not a thing really during World War II. They were stored in these concrete bunkers and then largely forgotten about or or stored improperly. And so the TNT leached out into the groundwater and Mm -hmm. the EPA did a survey of the area of the groundwater and found there was like active... Uh, nitroglycerin and TNT and different explosive components and, and chemicals. And even asbestos. Asbestos apparently. leaching into the groundwater heading towards, like, drinking wells. But the other thing is, apparently it made, like, a toxic bog in this TNT area. You know, if you're familiar with the, what is it, the Princess Bride, <laughs> where the uh, where the swamp has, like, you know, flames shooting up out of it. It kind of right. made something similar to that.
1: Nice. R-O-U-S-S.
0: Yeah, a mo- or I guess M-O-U-S is Mothmans of unusual size.
2: <laughs> I think the most uh, widely known incident linked to the Mothman is the Silver Bridge incident um, there in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. And uh, the events of the movie kind of um, you know rotate around that story as well. This is back in December of 1967 when the Silver Bridge just collapsed during rush hour traffic, throwing 37 cars into the river, and at the time, which made it the worst road disaster in American history. Um, the army was called in to help retrieve bodies from the river, um, of which they recovered 44 people, and two, they were never found at all. It was a huge, huge, terrible disaster there in Point Pleasant, which isn't that big of a community to this day. And before and around that incident, the Mothman was reported to have been sighted.
0: Well, wasn't it due to, like, some kind of the bridge, I think, was made, what, in 1927? Yeah,
2: 1926. um, It was just one, I guess, um, iron I-beam that failed, which created, like, this, you know, cascading effect throughout the structure where that one went and then it caused like almost like dominoes, you know, um, to kind of give away in order and that caused the whole thing to go down and just fell straight down into the river.
0: Well, what's wild about that though, is that there was a trucker that had apparently, you know, just cleared the bridge maybe two minutes before Mm -hmm. the bridge collapses. Well, apparently he was reporting that he saw a giant winged creature fly across the front of his truck right before it went down. And to me, from what he described, sounds like the Mothman. Why not? What it, you know? <laughs> that's what this episode's about, so it's got to be the Mothman, right? Right. So, again, that was December
2: of 67. And so Mothman's sightings had been picking up about a year before that. So, again, if we're going with the theme that Mothman is some kind of entity, whether he's a cryptid or a supernatural in nature, we don't know, that he's been drawn to this area for whatever reasons, and the sightings kind of started and picked up and kind of culminated with the, with that horrible tragedy of the Silver Bridge. So, what are these sightings? Okay, we're going to go all the way back to November of 1966, when a witness named Linda Scarberry and two other friends were driving around this TNT area, which, you know, because it was so odd, it must have been like this local attraction where, like, young people would kind of go cruising, or like, hey, let's go check out the crazy death swamp of chemicals, or the weird igloo formations in the you know, secret army operations and all that stuff. I mean, I'd go cruising through there as a teenager.
0: Yeah, like, apparently it was a very popular hangout. And people would go drag racing from what she was saying, that it was, like, the place to be in that area at this time. Yeah. I mean, think about it. There's not a whole lot else to do. People don't have, they didn't have Facebook and TikTok and all that <laughs> other stuff to be on. So, I mean, so yeah. cheat death, we're, Hey, We're going to go drag race around a bunch of explosive mounds out in the middle of the woods. Sounds great.
1: Anonymous Mike, this sounds like some of your hijinks. Yeah, I'm not sure how much time I would actually spent out there. But you're an not old with nitroglycerin leaching out of there. I've heard bad things about dynamite sweating. You're an old street racer though, aren't you? I'm. I mean, I'm an old street racer. I'm not so much <laughs> of a street racer anymore. So maybe I'm now just old. So while Linda and her
2: friends were out there doing what young folks do late at night in the woods, as they were driving, you know, they came past the abandoned power plant, and in their headlights, they saw the Mothman, which they described as at least seven feet tall with slender, muscular build like that of a man with pink, fleshy skin and two ashy-colored wings on its back. Um, she stated at the time they couldn't see its face because when she tried to look at it, it was like she was being hypnotized. The other witnesses said that you know the eyes were like these two giant, large, red, orb-like eyes that kind of glowed in the dark, especially in the light of the headlights. At the time, the creature was trapped in, in like a bit of wire, barbed wire or something, and it was trying to free its wing, grabbing with these big, weird hands, trying to, like, pull its wing free of this wiring that that it was trapped by. And once it was finally free, it ran inside the, the abandoned power plant. At that time, they decided to get the heck on out of there and sped off down the road in excess of 100 miles per hour.
0: Yeah, like, the description she gives of this thing is this big, pink, almost angelic-like creature with these big hands, and he's, he's all jacked and muscly. Hell, I so like that will be calling Moth Daddy, from what I'm hearing, for her description. <laughs>
2: You're attracted to a lot of strange things. Isn't
0: I you? mean, I kind of have a thing for the Mothman. I'm I mean, you know, lie. whatever
2: does it for you, does it for
1: you. But, uh,
2: <laughs> but as they drove away, they discovered that the creature was actually following them, flying in the air behind their car, at which... At 100 miles an hour. Yeah, so it okay. kept up with them and actually, like, attacked the car, like, beat on the roof and stuff at, at multiple times, keeping up with them as they headed down Route 62. As they rounded a bend, they saw the creature again, this time, but it was crouched on a retaining wall with its arms and its legs kind of pulled up around itself.
0: Oh, it just wanted to make a friend. Like, now, I'm, now I feel kind of bad for it. Like, it was just trying to make friends and was really bad at it. Now it's just sitting there kind of sad, like, nobody wanted to hang out with the Mothman. Yeah, maybe so. We've all been there, right? I would be friends with the Mothman in a heartbeat.
1: (laughs) We've all been there.
2: So the next day, um, they went back, and they had four people in, in the car altogether, including Linda Scarsbury. And they went back to the power plant during the day, and they decided to look around outside, at which point they did find some strange tracks. And one of the men, this guy must have had a pair between his legs, decided to go inside by himself. But he did come running back out later, saying that he saw the creature inside by the old abandoned boiler. And he had, like, slammed the boiler door as he escaped. And again, later that night, they saw the large form of winged creature flying over the highway near the TNT area. Um, The group finally decided, okay, we've got enough evidence now. We've seen this thing over the course of two days, doing various things. They finally decided to go to the police. Of course, they thought they were full of crap.
0: Well, but going back to the power plant, when the guy ran out, didn't the group also go back in and the door that he supposedly, like, slammed shut was now wide open? Like, something had come back out of there. Yeah, the man who went in slammed it shut behind him. But later on, when they saw
2: it again, the door had been opened. So I guess it, it I guess it came out. Um, it's about this point after these um, two days of incidents with Mothman that the Men in Black arrived.
0: And these aren't, you know, your, your typical Men in Black. This isn't Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones out there looking all dapper in their suits. The the Men in Black that we're talking about, they they have like translucent skin. They're just kind of awkward, gangly-looking creatures. They they're vaguely humanoid, but they're bad at it. Like that's the best way I can think to describe them. Like apparently, eyewitness accounts says you can see like all the way through their skin, like see their veins and everything, and and they all have this like just weird kind of pale color to them, and it's things that would be totally normal human interactions for us are just completely, for lack of a better word, alien to them.
2: Right, so I guess we should pause a moment and talk about the men in black. Of course, we have the movies where it's regular Joes like us who are recruited in this super secret black ops operation to combat alien invasion.
0: Which, that's the thing, like, doing the research for this show and for this podcast, I couldn't quite figure out how we got the men in black being the good guys mm-hmm. with the movies and the comics and everything and, and being like totally well, It normal. comes
2: from a graphic novel, it is a comic, right, yeah. Right, that's
0: where it started out as. But like all accounts of the Men in Black, for what they are, they're they are essentially aliens, and they are not the good guys by any means. Like the Men in Black right. are the ultimate evil.
2: They're trying to pass as human. Yes, for some reason, as they investigate weird stuff going on for whatever their purposes might be, it's not the federal
1: government. I don't know. I <laughs> they make threats and they're intimidating, and they they scare me way worse than the Mothman.
0: Mm. I'm I'm gonna disagree with you, Jason. I don't think they're investigating so much as they are actively causing. Oh, really, the weird stuff that goes on because apparently there were like men in black milling around the silver bridge the day before it collapsed
1: or the, or maybe they're in damage control. you know that you see you've heard i mean thousands of cases of people see something funny out there, the next thing they realize they get this visit, and it's from this car with these men in these suits, and they say you didn't see anything if you talk, then bad things will happen to you and and they're gone. Now, I, I think the Men in Black that we're talking about
0: for this episode in particular, they're more the cause. They are the bad guys of the story.
2: Okay, so yeah, in time, we're in 1966, and you know we had a couple days of the Mothman sightings with Linda and her friends. And then the Men in Black show up, and as Anonymous Mike is saying, started to kind of mess around with Linda and her friends. Um, driving around town in their black suits and their hats and their sunglasses and their big, long, black Cadillacs, which sounds pretty cool to me, like the Blues Brothers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, but if, if the Blues Brothers were awful, alien-looking creatures and, and
2: had terrible intentions. Right, she described them as having uh, translucent skin with like, extremely long fingers and were very awkward and like um, strange about basic human things, like shaking hands. like They didn't understand
0: that Jay- behavior. Jason, are, are you part of the Men in Black? Because I think we've kind of described you a little bit yeah, you're here. You're pretty awkward. I don't know. My fingers aren't quite that long. Oh, okay. That's, that's the one thing that saves you from being a Men in Black. And when I'm tan, I look alright. He's figured out how to blend it alongside Mike.
2: <laughs> it was around this time in 1966 where Linda and many other women in the Point Pleasant area um, all became pregnant. And Linda believed that this was somehow related to the coming of the Men in Black. In fact, she believed that um, the Men in Black may have been there for her daughter, Dani. Um, these children all turned out to be exceptionally intelligent. And at one point, she reported that when Danny was only five months old, she was awakened in the middle of the night to find one of the Men in Black in her bedroom, a bedroom that she had shared with her aunt and her daughter. The Men in Black had dark eyes, a crew-cut haircut, and, and, which was coal black in hair, and was sticking straight up. Um, From the light coming from the kitchen, she could see him staring at her, never blinking, at which point he lit a cigarette, and the light from the the lighter going off um, reflected off of a gold crucifix that was hanging over the baby's crib. At that point, he kind of freaked out and fled the house, and as everyone was waking up as well, he fled the house, and they kind of thought maybe it was a dream, but they all remember distinctly seeing this man in black in their room examining the child.
0: Well, yeah, because the the aunt was in the room there with them too, right? And the interesting part about this is that she noticed these men in black kind of falling around and these weird occurrences around town mm-hmm. previous to this event. And I think she met with her like local preacher and was like, "Hey, is there anything that we can do?" Because they had some you know weird vibes, especially after seeing the Mothman. And asked, "Is like, is there anything that we can do to kind of protect ourselves?" And here's where it gets really weird. He told them to hang a crucifix in the bedroom. But told him that it had to be made of gold, like it couldn't be just gilded, it had to be a gold crucifix in this room.
2: Like solid through gold and gold, like like, a coating or
0: anything. Right, like it had to be the actual metal
2: for it. So, you know, add another layer to all this, about this time UFO sightings began picking up severely in the Point Pleasant area, and the person who was reporting on this the most was one Mary Heyer, who was a reporter for the Athens Messenger. I'm assuming that's Athens, Ohio, which is on you know the west side of the river.
0: Yeah, it's just across the river there from Point Pleasant.
2: So Mary Heyer, now we're up into January of 67. Mary Heyer was working late in her, her office, which was located in the county courthouse downtown, and an unknown man walked in the door, whom she described as being very short, maybe only about four and a half feet tall, with strange, dark deep-set eyes covered by glasses with thick lenses. He was wearing strange shoes with very thick soles which maybe added a little bit to his height. He had long black hair cut squarely like a bowl cut and spoke in a peculiar low and halted voice. Um, The man asked for directions to Welsh, West Virginia and kept getting closer and closer as they talked. And again she reported this strange thing where like his eyes were staring at her directly and she felt this almost like hypnotic effect come over her, and she was kind of alarmed by this person, very strange in appearance, and she called the manager to come into the office so that she wouldn't be alone. She said that at one point during the discussion, she had to go answer the telephone, and noticed the man pick up a ballpoint pen that she had on her desk, as if he didn't understand what it was.
0: Yeah, like that's the whole thing with them, is they're kind of like poor There's just facsimiles. There's
2: awkward, awkward AF, right? Yeah.
0: <laughs> they're poor facsimiles of humans, right. is the whole thing about these men in black. And they speak in this like weird, you know, uh, stilted voice to where it's like, what is this? Like, what, where do I go to find Welsh, West Virginia? Mm -hmm. Like, it's, they know words, but they they have no idea of, like, intonation or any way to actually, like, speak as a a normal human. This incident ended
2: while while she was kind of on the phone paying attention to other business. He was examining the pen and then just kind of cackled loudly. (laughs) Yeah, so, I (laughs) don't know. I've worked in bureaucracy a lot of years, and um, I'm quite happy when people leave my office for whatever reason, but... Um.
0: Honestly, I don't know what's worse. The fact that they're most likely aliens, or the fact that the aliens would be close talkers. Because I, I can't stand somebody that's a close talker. Like, if you're one of those people that has to get like closer and closer as you talk, yeah. we're gonna have problems. There was one person I knew that they were an, a habitually close talker, and one day I finally just held my arms up directly in front of me, completely outstretched, and I said, if you make it within this radius... I will strangle you. I will strangle you right here. And that's how you deal with close talkers. If somebody's a close talker and you don't like that, just hold your arms up. Tell them if they get close enough, you're just going to choke the shit out of them. Yeah,
1: 36-inch minimum for me.
2: Yeah, I worked with the international community here in town for a long time, and different cultures have just different lengths at which they want to talk to you, and that always made me uncomfortable as a raging introvert. I mean, it always made me uncomfortable as heck, you know, a lot of Middle Eastern cultures, they want to be right up in your grill, like smelling your breath. And I'm just like, oh, can't do this. Nope. Arms length out. Arms (laughs) length at all times.
1: I'd rather you just text me.
2: Yes, right. (laughs) Yes, yes. What kind of monster makes a phone call? Anyway, um, fast forward about a month, um, up until February of 1967, and one of the original Mothman witnesses, Connie Carpenter, was walking to school when a black car pulled up alongside her. Um, the driver opened his door and asked her for directions. He seemed to be a clean-cut young man, about 25 or so, with thick, neatly combed black hair, but this time with a deep suntan, so he wasn't all washed out and paled and translucent like the other. This guy had been to the suntan bed, I suppose. <laughs> they
0: ran this cat through the spray tan right beforehand <laughs> to make him blend in.
1: They'll never suspect you now.
2: <laughs> it, it got weird because she approached the vehicle you know, to converse with the man. At that point, he tried to abduct her and pull her into the vehicle, and she fought him off and managed to get away, but he did rip her blouse in the process. Later that day, she was in her house kind of locked in, being careful, when she got a uh, a note slipped under her door that said, Be careful, girl. I can get you yet.
0: Oh, man. So, like, the men in black, you know, they know where you're hanging out at, and and it sounds like they've been keeping pretty close tabs on the people, the original witnesses of the Mothman that that went out and, you know, made a stink about it, especially to the police and everything.
2: And also this Mary Heyer, who was doing all the reporting about the strange sightings, you know, UFOs and stuff in the area, they were hounding her pretty seriously. Um, she saw the same man in black in May of 1967 again. Um, different clothing, but he was kind of strolling around the streets of Point Pleasant. When she recognized him and he recognized her, he dove into yet another ubiquitous black car and, and sped away. So they're all over Point Pleasant, leading right up to the... Breakout of the Mothman sightings and the collapse of the Silver Bridge.
0: Yeah, because at this point, it almost becomes a cultural phenomenon in the area of Point Pleasant. Mm-hmm. Which we will get to all of that in part two of the Mothman series. Well guys, thank you so much for joining us here at Gravedigger Radio. You know, Mothman is, is one of my personal favorite cryptids, so I'm super excited to be bringing this series to you guys.
2: Are you going to be him for Halloween next year?
0: I Oh, I have designs to build like a <laughs> nine foot tall Mothman. Don't even Don't even get me started. <laughs> But if you like what we do here at Gravedigger Radio, and you want to help us keep doing it, head over to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash gravedigger radio. And if you don't want to have a recurring monthly donation, you can always buy us a beer, which we will drink on this podcast. This podcast is a strongly 75% alcohol, and you can do that at buymeacoffee.com forward slash gravedigger. Be sure to follow us on all of our social media at Facebook at Gravedigger Radio, or also on Twitter. And if you have any weird personal stories that you want to share with the podcast, send that to us at Gravedigger Radio at Outlook.com or send us a message on our Facebook page. We'll be happy to read those on air. So until next time, guys, tune in for another spooky story.